You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit www.providencetx.org. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Providence. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. If this is your first time at Providence, we just want to welcome you and we just want to tell you that we're grateful that you chose to gather with us this morning. Um, Providence is a group of people formed around the simple vision to make the gospel unignorable in our city. And my name is Lauren Schreiber. I serve at Providence as the director of the Providence Road Academy. Um, And again, we're grateful that you are here with us this morning. Um, At Providence, every Sunday when we gather together, we open our Bibles because we believe that it has been given to us that we might know, worship, and obey Jesus. And so this Sunday, we are going to continue through our Advent sermon series called Tis the Season. Um, where we are talking about the love, joy, hope, and peace that we find in Christ. And so um, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask that you turn um, with us to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 14. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we do have some under the seats, so you can um, look around and find one if you'd rather be in the hard copy of the text. But again, we're going to read from Luke chapter 2. So when you are there, if you're able, would you please stand with me as we read God's word together? Providence, hear the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom, with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> it's good to be here worshiping the Lord with you. Um, before we get started, I do have an announcement. Okay. Uh, this coming Saturday... If you are a man and testosterone flows through you at higher levels, uh, we are having a men's event in place of our men's breakfast. We're going to be doing what we call hymns are war and coffee. All right, so I want you to attend. It's going to be as epic as it sounds. We are going to war via the hymns, okay? But I do want to encourage you to come out. There's going to be coffee, light breakfast. Uh, It's from 8 to 9 this Saturday, December 16th. So we'd love to have you um, come war with us. You're welcome. All right. So um, we're going to jump into it. So uh, as um, Lauren mentioned, we've kind of been looking at the same text. So uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, uh, the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds and kind of giving these announcements. And so we've been uh, going through this. This is week two. I think we actually have all of our topics listed right over there, which is awesome. Uh, And so today we're going to be covering the line, good news of great joy. And we know we believe the gospel, which does mean good news, right? So this gospel of great joy is what we're going to be discussing today. There's a few things I kind of feel like we should mention. And then I want to read a different text and then pray and we'll get into it. Here's what I want to mention. It is a true fact, and we believe this as Christians, that you are both physical and spiritual, right? So you have these, these two things about you. You exist in two ways, right? And so obviously we know that we have a body, what we can see, and we know that we have a spirit that, that goes beyond us, right? And in, in this life to the next life. And then we also 
have the hope that one day both our soul and our body will be reunited in, in perfection, right? And it will be like that gloriously forever. The reason why I mention this, it's important because in the early church and throughout all of history, you have essentially kind of two extremes on this end. So you got more of the Gnostics, which believed that essentially Gnostics kind of the Greek uh, derivative for, for knowledge. And so they kind of valued the spiritual. They valued this knowledge of the divine that you could have. And they did this to the extreme to the point where they just neglected the physical altogether. They said the body is, is, is worthless. It's thrown off. Basically, the body is just corrupt. It's just filth. There's nothing good about it. It's all about the spiritual. And so they neglected the physical. And then you had people like the hedonist that were agnostic, technically, which meant we're not worried about the knowledge at all. It's all about what's here, what we can see, feel, touch, smell, and it's all about the body. Uh, and so their, their philosophy was just do whatever the heck you want, do it to the fullest, live life, right? Uh, and they were, they were hedonists. It was all about that, and then that was it. But this balance um, <clears throat> of both the physical and spiritual is very important, okay, especially in understanding the text that we're going to get into here, because uh, you can turn there, FYI. We're going to be focusing mostly on 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. But what's happening in 1 Peter chapter 1 is that Peter is encouraging a people that are suffering, okay. They're going through trials of various kinds. They are uh, exiles, and, and they're dispersed kind of throughout different cities. That's not their home, so they're not around their community, their home, things like that. They've kind of been dispersed because, as you know, in the early church, Christianity was uh, heavily persecuted. It was despised. It was a small, uh, disparate group that was kind of spread out and running for their lives in one sense. And so he's trying to encourage them. But what he's doing is trying to get them not to merely look at the physical like what was happening right in front of them, but to get their eyes above the clouds, if you will, into the, the heavenly realm and to remind them of what Christ had accomplished for them spiritually and what that meant for us as far as our joy and our hope in the Lord and, and how we can endure through suffering, okay? So it's important to remember that we are both physical and spiritual. When we look above the clouds, we're not saying forget this life. We've got a lot of work to do here. There's a lot of important things, but... Um, it's important that we hold these things in tandem. And it is important as well as we remember as he talks to these people that are suffering, that he's encouraging them. And I would say the Bible is not only encouraging us, but commanding us to rejoice in the Lord just despite the circumstance, right? And that's kind of what's going on here in First Peter. And so this isn't just a sermon for those that are suffering and for those that are brokenhearted. But I want to encourage all of us that as we settle into this Christmas season, no matter what our circumstance is, that we would find great joy in our Lord. Our hope is eternal and it is sure, okay? We have good news of great joy that is for all the peoples and it's offered to us today that we might believe in it and rejoice in it, okay? It's open to all of those who confessed our Lord Jesus Christ, that even through pain we might Rejoice, okay? Great blessings are ours. So what I would like to do, I know I mentioned a lot of text here, is I want to read Psalm 100 just to get a flavor of how the Bible encourages to rejoice in the Lord. And I want to jump into First Peter, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray. So let's get into Psalm 100. Um, you guys don't have to turn there, but you, you can look. Here's what it says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you this morning for our good news of great joy. You have blessed us, Lord, with every blessing in the heavenly places. You have made us new. You have given us reason to rejoice in you this morning and to come into your presence with gladness and singing. And so, God, I pray you'd help us this morning not to be distracted, but to have gladness of heart, to have eyes to see above the clouds into what you've promised us and who you are for us, and that it would add, no matter what the circumstance is, some sweetness to this season, this Christmas holiday season, Lord. But not just for this time now, but forevermore that we look to you and trust you in whom we have believed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we get the angels appear and they bring good news of great joy that would be for all the peoples. We know the Christmas story. It's that the Savior is being born, right? The God-man, the God of all the universe has come in human form, to live the perfectly sinless life on our behalf and die in our place that we might have life everlasting. All right, this is the good news of great joy. Now, what Peter's going to do here in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 1 through 9, is once again, he's talking to a people that are suffering. Let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I wish I had time to really unpack that portion of the text, but I have to skip over it for the sake of time. But I just want to show that these people are the... Elect exiles of the dispersion, okay? They're away from their homes, like we mentioned. They're away from kind of their lives. And they are suffering. And you get this from just all of 1 Peter. We see a lot of things happening in 1 Peter where he's saying, hey, don't be surprised that this fiery trial has come upon you. Jesus promised this would happen. You need to suffer well. He's kind of encouraging them all through, like, what's going on. Uh, But he starts off this letter just so, with so much... uh, goodness that I'm excited to get into it. And basically, I got about four points. I just want to, four reasons to rejoice this morning in the good news of great joy. And then I want to give an exhortation at the end and practicals if we have time, which we we did last service, so we should be good. Um, Okay, so let's start in verse three together and we'll kind of go through these points. So he starts off, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off with praise, with worship, okay? I love when the, new, the, the, the writers of the Bible do this. They kind of just break out into worship as they're writing a letter. But he starts off, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's happy with the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Praise him. He's worthy, right? Our God has given us a reason to rejoice, and it is the Lord himself. May the Lord be blessed forever, for he is good. He is glorious, he is gracious, he is terrifying, he is awesome, he is magnificent, majestic, all the things you want to name, it is him. He's the God of all the universe. And we say together, and I hope after we read this text and expound it together, that you will say, blessed be 
the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so he goes on. According, verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'll stop right there. My point number one is that we are born again. So he starts off, why is God blessed? Why is he worshiping God? Well, because according to his great mercy, God is very merciful to us, okay? He has shown us mercy and grace time and time and time again. This is the story of the gospel, that he has been very merciful. His great and abundant mercy is on us. He has lavished us with so many mercies. So let us celebrate these mercies this morning. Okay, I know we're all in different parts of life. All of us have different situations, some hard, some not. But our Lord works all of them for good. He works all of them for good. To steal from the children's ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, they have this kind of poem they teach their kids. It's not a long one, but they say this. When things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. I love that line. I teach my kids that. I say it all the time just to myself, just for encouragement, okay, God is, he's working things out for us, right? He has given us mercy in all circumstances. And so as Peter starts this letter, worshiping the Lord, he's saying, according to his great mercy. See, the the truth of the gospel, and we'll mention this a few times in here that we have to remember, is before we were saved, okay, we were not lovely. We were not worthy, right? This is the kind of storyline of the gospel is that you and I, deserve condemnation, we deserve hell, we deserve all of it. it. It all should and ought to be placed on us, but God, while we are still sinners, while we were unlovable, while we were, uh, in a real sense, worthless because of our rebellion against God, God uh, found it in his love and mercy to rescue us, to give us grace, to bestow upon us honor and joy and blessing more than we could ever imagine. So let's continue. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that it mentions that God caused it to happen. I think this is an important celebration for us, which is that we have to remember that um, it's all grace, right? It all flows from grace that God has looked upon us and he's loved us. Let's continue. So he's caused us to what? He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. What does it mean to be born again? It means that we were children of one nature under our father, the devil, and we were dead in sin and bent on rebellion against God. And now through life in Christ, we are of a different nature. We are new creatures, right? Um, But to do it better, because Paul does it better all the time, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 gives a good example. Here's what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is great. Okay, this is what God has done for us by causing us to be born again, right? You're born once into sin, and then by mercy in him, 
us who have believed in Christ, we have been reborn. We have been given a new nature where once what used to be lovely to us is now despised and what used to be despised is now lovely. Our God has caused us to love him, to enjoy him, to rejoice with him, to want him. Like, yeah, we still struggle. We still sin. We still get caught in all the corruption of our flesh, but we hate it. We, we despise those things that keep us from the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we love him. This is what it means to be born again. It's to a living hope. It's a living hope because Christ Jesus is alive and well, right? Through the resurrection, he has conquered all. And it's living also because he's made us truly alive. We breathe true air now. We know who it is we ought to be, who God is for us, and we're alive. And this is a great blessing of Christianity. It's a great blessing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has rescued us, who has given us new birth. He's given us new nature. He's given us the ability to want him, to have him, to know him. And in this we rejoice. And this all is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now you might be saying, hey dude, this is Christmas. Okay, back off. That's for Easter. This is about the birth of Christ. And I just say, well, you can't have the you know, resurrection without the death, and you can't have the death without the life, and therefore it's all encompassing, right? And what Peter's doing is he's showing the resurrection as the pinnacle, right? It's the pinnacle of when it was one, right? Now we know obviously Jesus says it's finished on the cross, but the resurrection was the living and abiding proof that Christ had conquered, that once and for all, sin, hell, and death have been put away. And they've been absorbed into Christ. He has been victorious over it all and has stamped us with his seal. He has made it true. And this is an amazing thing. He's caused us to be born again. We rejoice in this greatly. The resurrection is the moment where Christ devastatingly and everlastingly got victory over sin and hell. And it is in this conquering that we have our rejoicing and security. Amen. This is a good truth. It's a good truth for us to celebrate today. And it's very important. So not only do we have the new birth, but number two, we have an everlasting inheritance. Let's look at verse four. Verse four and five. I'll read both of them. We'll kind of go through them together with a few points. It says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a lot in this old text. We could go on forever, and maybe I shall. But for now, here's a few things. So what was the re- resurrection of Jesus Christ and subsequently our rebirth? What has it brought us to? What have we been saved to? And it is our inheritance. Now that we have been reborn into God's kingdom and family, we now have an unbelievable inheritance, okay? But you should believe it. Um, so we talked about being children of wrath of that nature, now that we've been born again into the family of God, the kingdom of God, we now have an inheritance. If you know how an inheritance works, which they work in modern times, very common back then, is that the father would have children, and usually the sons would each get an inheritance of the land, whatever was owned, etc. And so for, for Christ Jesus, he, he is one for us, not just new life in him, where we could be alive, but we also have an inheritance. Now we obviously know this inheritance is the Lord himself, it's the kingdom forever, life with him, joy everlasting, all these things that we name from the Bible. But there's a few things about the inheritance that I want to point out. One is that it's imperishable. Okay, It gives imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It doesn't fade away. So let's think about imperishable for a second. 
to be perishable means it will expire, right? It will expire, it will die. Our inheritance cannot die. Therefore, our death cannot cause it to perish, nor could disappointment, nor could sickness, nor could anything else this life may throw at us. It is safe, immovable, and unshakable. This is an important point about our inheritance. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be moved. It cannot fade away. It cannot perish. It is in the heavens. It is safe from all danger, all circumstances. It cannot be touched. I love that. Let's continue. It's also undefiled, which means, so our inheritance cannot be defiled. Therefore, our sin and the sin of others, even against us, cannot defile our inheritance. It's impossible. All of your corruption, it can't, can't murk the waters with the inheritance. It is clean. It is undefiled. And then thirdly, it's unfading. Our inheritance will never fade away. Therefore, time, loss, sickness, disappointment, tragedy, you fill in the blank, it cannot bring it to decay. I mentioned last service, everything in this world decays except a McDonald's cheeseburger, okay? There are experiments that does not decay. But the point is that all things, all things you see with your eyes right now, they decay. Everything, every possession in this world, it's, it's subject to rust, right? That's why Jesus says, hey, don't store treasures on earth, but in heaven where moth nor rust destroy and thieves can't break in and steal it, it's protected. What Peter is trying to communicate is, look, Christians, whatever you may be going through, whatever you may be experiencing, this inheritance in heaven for you, it's not subject to any danger. It's not subject to any decay, any worries at all. It is safe. It is there, protected by God himself in the place where he dwells, and it will not be touched. And that's a beautiful promise for us. That's an amazing promise. That's a better gift than any you'll unwrap this Christmas, I promise, right? It's an amazing thing God's done for us. So this is your inheritance, okay? So although this world is surrounded by dangers, the inheritance we have in Christ is not surrounded by any danger. It cannot be. There is nothing that may alter or destroy it. It is ours forever. It's our inheritance. It's an amazing truth. All right, point number three out of verse four and five is that we are being guarded by God's power. It's another reason to rejoice. Not only are we born again, and that's great reason. Not only do we have an inheritance that never fades or perishes, we also are guarded by God's power. Let's read it one more time, verse five. So he says, basically, this is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's not saying simply that the inheritance is guarded, but he's saying those of you that are the inheritance receivers, you are also guarded by God's power. This is amazing promise for us. So what this means is not only is the inheritance in heaven not subject to any danger, but also those in whom the inheritance is for you and I, the receivers of that inheritance, if we're in Christ Jesus, we are also never truly subject to danger. Now, here's what I mean by that, because you're obviously saying, well, there's lots of danger in this life, right? Everything decays. All, all of us experience danger. So how could that be? What I don't mean is that all circumstances will be great all the time. It obviously doesn't work that way, right? Uh, it actually often works the opposite way. But what I mean is that you and I... Um, can never have the inheritance taken away from us. 
we can't. What I mean by true danger is that the danger of losing that inheritance in Christ does not exist. Think about the text, right? We're in the palm of his hand. He talks about nothing being able to snatch us out of that hand, right? It's an amazing truth. He will protect us. He will preserve us. Peter Peter reminds us that not only is our inheritance not subject to dangers in heaven, but we also, as inheritance receivers, are not subject to any true danger. It is ours forever. This is how we believe we'll wake up tomorrow still believing in Christ Jesus, right? How do you know you're going to finish the race? Well, the Lord is with us. He is with us. Now, how are we guarded, though? Because there's, if you see the line here, he's saying that you know, it's kept in heaven for us who are being guarded by God's power through what? Through faith. This is amazing, okay? So how are we guarded? It's by God's power through faith. So how does God use his awesome power to guard us? By having us participate with him through faith. This is why, shameless plug, you should come to Hymns Our War, because life is a war, right? It is. It's the good fight of faith. That's how the Bible describes it. Look, the enemy, you have a real enemy who hates you. He wants nothing more than for you to make shipwreck of your faith. This is why, as believers in Christ, we fight tooth and nail to the bitter end, to have faith in him. And yeah, we do some losing battles for sure. But ultimately, we fight. And this is why we must come together as a body of believers and fight together. This is the fight that we're in. This is what we have in common. It's not that we all drive the same kind of car or dress the same or whatever. It's that we are Christ, we have faith in him, and we are in a battle to the end that we might preserve with him. This is what we do. All along knowing that, thanks be to God, his power guards us and keeps us safe for our inheritance. It's a good fight, though. It's a worthy fight of faith. So he does it through faith. So as we're guarded by God's power through faith, it is for our salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There is coming a day very soon that all will be, all will be revealed, right? And the salvation of the Lord will be seen by all. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And for those that are in Christ, it will be the most glorious, most amazing day you've ever experienced in your life. That's why the Bible calls it that great day when Christ is revealed. And for those who are not in Christ, it will be the most terrifying and terrible day that you've ever experienced. In Christ, it is for the salvation that's ready to be revealed. That's ours. This is our hope. It's our joy. It's what we long for. When we get into the Christmas season, see a lot of the point of Advent is longing, right? Just like the first one, it was longing for the Savior to come and make all things new. Now that he's done it, truly and effectively, we know it's now, it's imminently coming, right? We, we are awaiting for him to make all things new, and, and one day he will very soon. Now let's me to point number four. I want to read verses six through nine together. So continuing on, starting verse six. In this you rejoice. So what he's saying is all, all the stuff we just mentioned, Okay, being born again to a living hope, the inheritance that doesn't fade away or perish, the uh, way that God is guarding us and preserving us through faith in him for salvation that will be revealed very soon. In this, you rejoice. That's why we rejoice. And he goes on. So in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a gold mine of truth in here. Point number four is that we are strengthened through trials. This is true for all believers. You are strengthened through trials. Not only are we born again, do we have this everlasting inheritance, can't be taken away. Not only are we guarded by God's power, but we are strengthened through our trials. C.S. Lewis said it this way about the Christian life. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. And he was always witty that way, but it's a good point, right? What, what he's trying to say is that, uh, you know, it, it's not uh, your best life now. It doesn't work that way. It's not, hey, if you just, uh, you know, make sure that you do these certain things, that God's just going to make your life roses all the way. It's not that way. It doesn't work. We know that, right? We know that. As you become a Christian, it's like not only is life tough, but now it's piled on because the world hates you. And Jesus promised they would hate you. And he promised if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you know, you'll be hated for sure. Okay, so now you just pile that on. We don't come to religion just because we want that elated feeling of constant happiness. We just walk around and giggle all the time. It doesn't work that way, right? We know that. We know that's false. We come to Christianity because there's an answer for it all, and it's Christ Jesus. So Peter acknowledges that even in our rejoicing and in our salvation, that we are grieved by various trials. Okay, he acknowledges this. Peter is not giving a version of joy that is constant elation, always smooth, no problems. He is acknowledging that trials will come, hardships will bear weight on us, and this is a part of the Christian life. He is also acknowledging, however, that our hope in God is one that causes endurance. It's not easily shaken. Okay, this is important for us. That our hope, it does endure, it does not fade, it is true through all things. Okay? There's a few things I want to point out about verse 6. Remember, verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Let's go through a few of these things that he gives about grief. Um, Peter points out a few things. One is that these trials we experience are grievous, right? They are. So he acknowledges that we've been grieved by them, okay? I know some of you have a personality where... Things are always awesome, okay? You just that Lego movie, everything is awesome. It's like a big song on there. It's like, that's just your life. I love that about you, okay? I'm not telling you to stop. It's a great thing. But, but Peter is acknowledging that, that we've been grieved in more ways than one, right? That, that there, there's lots of grieving going on. He acknowledges that for us, which I think is helpful. This may be obvious to everyone, but it is an important note that our sufferings hurt. They grieve us sometimes you know, we could have a tendency like we just got to pretend that everything is just great when it's not. And it's such a fool's errand. It's, it's, a, it's a dumb game, right? It doesn't work that way. We are affected by sufferings and they leave indelible marks on us that are just true about life. So instead of trying to posture, which is dishonest, it's good that we're honest about what we go through and the grievances that happen, Okay. Now, I know we all take things differently, so once again, I'm not saying you have to, you know, have a certain, you know, way that you handle things. I'm just saying it's important that we understand he's, there are grievances. Number two, he says these trials we experience are various, okay, which means they happen in different seasons 
in different times, different durations, different ways, okay? They don't all, they, they, they come differently. And they come differently for everybody. And what I'd like to encourage us in is we should spend a lot less time comparing our sufferings to other people's sufferings and a lot more time leaning on the body of Christ as we run our race with endurance, okay? Now, I know it's tempting. We live in a culture where social media is a big thing and just the general information and, and just kind of the modern world, there are lots of challenges with being envious, right? And so sometimes we envy like, man, look at their trials. They've hardly had to experience anything. And I have to go through all this. And we can kind of get in this game of comparison, which doesn't help them. It doesn't help you. And about eight times out of ten, they actually feel the opposite way about you. They actually prefer your things and you would not prefer theirs. And so um, they are various. They come in waves. They come for different people in different ways. And that is the Lord's doing. And so we have to just acknowledge that we're running the race to him, okay, and that we've got to run with endurance and keep our eyes focused on him as we lean on one another to get there, okay. Number three, he points out these trials that we experience are necessary. So he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, okay. They're necessary because of what God's doing in, in all of us, right. And so uh, when we have trials of various kinds, they are a necessity, to strengthen us and to keep us going and to allow us to lean on him. So my encouragement to you is that you will never meet a trial that was not both necessary and beneficial for you, ever. As a Christian, that is true. You will never, ever, ever meet a trial that God did not intend, that was not necessary and beneficial. It's all, it's all that way. None of it's meaningless. It has purpose. And obviously, often we don't get answers for the purpose in particular, but we know ultimately what God's doing is he's making us, drawing us unto himself, making us like him, strengthening us for love and good works, and for all eternity it will be glorious. Paul uh, says that these light momentary sufferings we go through are not worth even comparing to the glory that will be ours one day. We have such glory that we'll be enveloped in in the kingdom because of these trials, and it's not even worth comparing it. It's not worth thinking about it because it's just coming a day where this will be glorious. But they're necessary. So everything you go through is meaningful. And even when we don't have a clear answer for that, we can trust in God. He knows. Number four is that these trials are for a short time. So notice he says, and if for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by these various trials. So they're for a short time. You may say, look, I've been experiencing this like 50 years now. It's not been short. I understand that. I'm, I'm not making fun of that or making light of that. But even if whatever you're suffering with bears on you for the rest of your life, it has to end. It has to end at some point, right? Like the trials, the sufferings, the sins that have a death grip on us, when you go into the kingdom, guess what? They have to let go. They can't hold on anymore. They have to let go. There's coming a time where you and I, in the twinkling of an eye, all of those things that are gripping us, all those burdens that weigh on us, they have to fall off. They can't hold on anymore. They can't and they won't because Christ Jesus will make them fall by the wayside. And so just be encouraged that as every suffering has a beginning, it also has an end. And there's coming a day where there will be no suffering for those who are in Christ Jesus for all of eternity. And in that, we rejoice. He continues on in verse 7. 
Why does this happen? Well, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why do we meet trials? So that the tested genuineness of our faith may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So a few things I want to mention about this. One is that as we meet trials, it is testing our faith. Now, make no mistake. God's not like, I don't know about you, man. You seem a little sketchy. Let's see what happens here, and then we'll know what you're made of. That's not what God's doing. God knows exactly what you're made of. He knows exactly what you'll do every moment of every day. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you want. He knows why you do it, what you do. That's not in question. But rather, I think when it says that it's testing our faith, there's really two things I think of. One is that um, it's actually showing us what we're made of, if you will. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've gone through certain things I get on the back end and all I can say is, I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not as loving or patient as I thought I was. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not as trusting as I thought I was. And I'm sure you've all experienced that too. We won't admit it because who would do that, right? That was sarcasm, which I'm really bad at, by the way. And then I think uh, on top of that, what it's doing is it's uh, when it says it's testing, that it's actually making us better, right? It's drawing us unto Christ. It's, so the, he uses the analogy here, and you've probably heard this in a thousand sermons, so it's nothing new, but you guys know what they do to gold, right? They heat the gold up, melt it, the dross comes up, you kind of wipe it off the top, and you kind of continue to do that with gold until it's pure, right? And so when he's saying it's tested by, even though gold, which is perishable, is tested by fire that it might be found to be pure, in the same way, that's kind of what's happening to us spiritually as we go through trials, right? It's purifying us slowly, but surely. Now, obviously, we'll never reach pureness in the sense of we'll be totally pure in this life, right? That's going to happen in a life to come. But what God is doing is he's causing that genuine faith to continue to be genuine. So it's actually in the fiery trials of this life that we maintain faith, that we continue to look to God, that we lean on him and we trust him. Another thing I'll point out is that our genuine faith is more precious than gold. I love that. Right, like there's nothing in your life more precious than your faith in Christ. It would be wor- a worthy endeavor if it required it to give up everything in your life that you might have it. Right, it's like Matthew 13, 40, 44, where it says uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a like a treasure. It was hidden in the field, and a man stumbled across it. He found it, and in his joy, he went and sold everything he had to buy that field because the treasure was in it. Right, that's what our faith in God, the kingdom of God, is like for us. It's important. And another thing to point out is that when we have pure faith, it results in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. I love this, okay? Not only are the trials preparing you for an eternal weight of glory, making you like Christ, causing you to lean on Him, but when it's accomplished and it will be accomplished for His children, what's going to be the result? Praise, glory, honor. Why? Because it was Jesus Christ the whole time sustaining you and keeping you. Right, So in summary, the trials we face are producing and refining in us a true and pure faith that brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ for being the fountainhead of our faith. Read that one more time. In summary, the trials we face are producing and refining in us a true and pure faith that brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ for being the fountainhead of our faith. This is your life in Christ. This is what makes sense of everything we experience. This is what we live for. 
This is the hope of Christmas. It's the hope of Easter. It's the hope of anything in our lives that we celebrate. It is the gospel. It is the good news of great joy. Now for the exhortation in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Although we have not physically beheld the Savior, Jesus Christ, and seen him with these eyes, we've seen him with spiritual eyes, right? But he's saying, look, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's an amazing line, right? It's just like, what, what did Jesus say to Thomas? When Thomas said, look, you know, Jesus appeared to all the other disciples, not him. He said, I won't believe unless I see him, like, unless I can touch his wounds. And I said last gathering, you know, Jesus just appeared out of nowhere like the ghost of Christmas past, right? He just kind of came in and he said, Thomas, behold, it's me. Come touch my side, come touch my hands, right? And Thomas does, and it's an amazing moment where God in his grace, even though Thomas was kind of tempting him a little bit, uh, you know, he comes in and he gives Thomas this face. He says, oh, the Lord, my God, right? He worships him. What does Jesus tell him? He says, look, blessed are those who don't see, I believe. He was saying, look, there's a spiritual seeing, because there's a lot of people that physically saw and they didn't believe, right? There's a spiritual seeing that causes us to love him. And in Christ, we have experienced that. So even though you haven't seen him, let us together, it's the exhortation, rejoice with a joy that words cannot explain and no more glory could possibly be poured into it. That's an amazing joy. And you might be thinking, wow, I have never felt that. That sounds crazy, right? Um, And here's what I'd say. My encouragement is not to go chasing some experience where you're going to feel just this like overwhelming sense of joy, like you're about to go down the hill on a roller coaster or something, you know, this excitement. Um, but if you consider, consider Christ, consider the gospel, consider where you've come from, what your destiny was, what God has wrought for you in sending his only son, how the God who flung the stars into existence looks at you, knows you, has loved you, has cared for you, when you deserve nothing but to be squashed by him, that should fill you with hope and joy and longing for him. It should. And we have tried for centuries now to express that joy and no human language can. But it's real. And look, there'll be seasons where it's more visceral. There'll be seasons where it's less visceral. That's not what I'm after. But what I am after is that we look to Christ. And say, God, give me that joy. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Come into his presence with singing. So this Christmas season, may that be the theme of our household. Is that although we have not beheld him, we have known him. Although we have not seen him, we know the God in whom we have believed. And there is eternal, everlasting, imperishable, unfading, guarded by God power that we have, and it's ours. So, the encouragements. How do we do it? What do we do? Um, These are pretty cheesy and obvious, but I got three encouragements for you, okay? First encouragement is this holiday season, I encourage you to set your mind on his word. 
however you got to do that, okay? Go get yourself a nice, like, John Piper, uh, you know, Advent devotional, or whether it's just picking up the, the, the Christmas story and reading it a few times with your family or friends, whatever it may be, get the word on your mind. Look to him with spiritual eyes. The way we do that is constantly through the word. That's how we are changed and developed. If you don't know even how to start that, find someone today and say, let's do it, all right? We're going to read the word together. It's important that we do this and get it on our mind. Number two is I want you to sing about what he has done this Christmas season, okay? Now, this is not a shameless plug for the men's ministry event coming up this Saturday, okay? But it is fitting. The Lord knew. I don't know. Um, But you may not be a singer. But Christmas, you know, you get Christmas caroling. There's there's like, you know, the the Christmas hymns. This season is just particularly filled with a lot of singing, okay? Um, And so I encourage you to sing. The Bible says greet one another with uh, hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, right? Rejoicing, making melody in your hearts with thankfulness to God. Like we're going to, we're training the greeters right now. When you walk in, they're going to start singing to you, okay? That's what's going to happen. We should sing. Singing is powerful. Music is powerful. It does something in the mind and the heart that is amazing. And so I encourage you with the worst voice possible, but a joyful voice to sing to God this Christmas season. And then lastly, enjoy the company of the saints this Christmas. Enjoy the company of the saints. Whether it's friends, family, whatever. Enjoy the saints because it is in the saints of God. And I, I encourage you, there's nothing, nothing greater in this life than getting to walk with one another in this fight against faith. We are not alone and shame on us when we neglect the body of Christ. It is the lifeline. It is the very body of Christ that he's given us to sustain us and to help us and to look to him, to look to him in the word together, to rejoice together, to sing together. And so I hope you take great hope in the people of God this Christmas season. Remind one another of this good news of great joy. Preach it to one another. Sing it to one another. Rejoice in it together. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ one to another this holiday season. I hope you guys uh, are encouraged. The Lord is faithful to do his work. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and we just thank you for good news of great joy. God, though, as the hymn says, through many trials, dangers, and snares, we have already come. It's his grace that brought us here thus far, and grace will lead us home. That is our call and our cry this morning, Lord. That through many trials, we will see you face to face. Through many wanderings, we will have hope, Lord, because you are with us and your people are with us. And in that, we rejoice greatly. I thank you that you did not leave the world in darkness. But long ago, you came as the light of the world. And you brought hope and joy and peace and comfort. And gladness has filled our hearts. Not because everything is the way we want it to be right now, but because one day it shall be. It shall be made new in the twinkling of an eye. And God, most importantly, because you've given of yourself. You are our joy. You are our comfort. You are our peace. And it's in you, God, that we rejoice this morning. I pray for those who, God, know you, but are struggling. May you be with them in special and gracious and merciful ways. 
And God, for those who do not know you, I pray that you'd cause them by your great mercy to be born again to a living hope through your resurrection. Would you grant them this peace? And as we take of your supper right now, encourage and strengthen us and may Providence Community Church be a people of joy and mirth because you are with us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.